Well, September is usually the time of starting back to school for children, back to work for folks who've been on vacations. It's a good time of new beginnings. I like to think of our work here at Unity as a matter of spiritual education. It has to be worked at. Most of us, as good students, spend a lot of time in practice and digging, working. So in a sense, we could say we're starting back to school today. We ring the school bell, and we all say we're ready to work. I was thinking of a uh, story told of a little child. He's come to school for the first day. He's sitting there with a glum look, rather despondent. The teacher came up and said, what's the matter, Johnny? Are you homesick? No, I'm here sick. Which has absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to do today, but it's a good place to start. <laughs> Had a lot of talk in recent weeks. References made, allusions, com comments, prophecies about the word recession. Some say we're already in one. Some say we might have one. Some say there's no way we'll have one. What is a recession? Is a recession like... Uh, a day, like Labor Day, or the 30th of July, some particular period. The term recession is kind of a relative term. It's like saying this is a happy day. What, what makes a happy day, a peaceful day? Where does it begin and end? Recession is a comment of, of a sort of an atmosphere that hangs something like a pall over the economy. Sluggish economy, raising interest rates, layoffs, hardships to folks on fixed incomes and so forth. This is a recession. The most important thing that we want to think about is that a recession is not something that comes. We're all involved in it. Everybody thus has a reaction in his financial and emotional and even physical life as a result. It's important to know that as students of truth and the science of awareness of the spirit, it's not necessary ever to follow the economic forecasters. There may be a recession in the world around you, maybe business slowdowns, maybe all sorts of talk of limitations and lack. Like the psalmist says, it need not come nigh unto you. Ten thousand shall fall at thy right hand, and one thousand at thy left, but it shall not come nigh unto you. If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, says the psalmist. It's an important realization. Your world is an inward-out experience. There are many problems out there in the world's economy. But the truth is, you're a spiritual being, in residence in a spiritual universe. And if you really know this realization, you can go through any downturn in the nation's economy without being hurt in any way. You can make yourself impervious to the ravages of inflation or depression, to business slumps and even massive unemployment. So in these few weeks, we're going to deal with this. Hopefully we can show ourselves how to make a recession-free life so that our security and our prosperity will go on untouched. When I was in college, Economics was a required subject. I've always been grateful that I was, even though at the time reluctantly, 
introduced to economic principles. Today, I have a strong conviction that everyone involved in living in the world, which I think means most of us, needs to become familiar with what I call spiritual economics. Some of you know I've addressed that, that need in my book, Spiritual Economics, the Unity book, that name. It's generally believed that in times of economic instability, we're all victims of a strange malaise about which there's little anyone can do other than to wait and see. The economists and the economic forecasters love to squabble about the idea of recessions, or the Wall Street people call it a bear market, as if it's something that just happens. This is a talk of unemployment, lowering investments, returns like a deadly virus surging through the economy, wreaking havoc in individual lives, which is why we need the perspective of spiritual economics. Even as most physical ills are now considered to be psychosomatic in origin, we must begin to face the possibility that financial problems may be the outer manifestation of inner states of consciousness. By the state of your mind and the attitudes you hold, you become a part of the problem, or perhaps, hopefully, a part of the solution. But the first step is to declare your independence, completely and finally, in the belief that your personal welfare is tied ever to the economic fluctuations of the world out there. To establish yourself in the unassailable consciousness that the free flow of substance can only be dammed up from within. More of that in a minute, but first I want to refer to a Newsweek magazine piece that was published a number of years ago, which is quite classic. You may recall this. A man lived by the side of the road and sold hot dogs. He had no radio. He had trouble with his eyes, so he read no newspapers, but he sold good hot dogs. He put up a sign on the highway telling how good they were. He stood by the side of the road and cried, buy a hot dog, mister. People bought. He increased his meat and bun orders, and he rented a larger store to take care of his trade. He got his son home from college to help him. Then something happened. His son one day said, Father, haven't you been listening to the radio? There's a financial crisis in the country. The international situation is terrible. The domestic situation is even worse. Whereupon his father thought, well, my son has been to college. He listens to the radio, reads the papers, so he knows. So he cut down his bun order, took down his highway signs, no longer bothered to stand on the highway to sell hot dogs. His hot dog sales fell almost overnight. You were right, son, the father said to the boy. We were certainly in the middle of a Great Depression. <laughs> Can you catch the implications of that? Your prosperity or your recession or your difficulty begins with you, not the world around you. The world around you reflects the collective consciousness of people. If we really had the means and the will, it would be possible, I think, to have some very important voice, possibly the president or someone respected in industry and across the country, to begin talking about prosperity, security, abundance, and set off a chain, chain reaction of thoughts and actions of people. People would wake up the next morning with the realization, as the hot dog salesman did, in the middle of a great time of prosperity. It would sweep across the land, because these things begin in thought, in consciousness. Someone says that in the stock market, usually 
has a great reaction if the president hiccups. There's a response immediately that travels around the world in, the, in financial circles. This story we told you from Life, from the Newsweek magazine, is obviously a parable. But it deals with the problem at a gut level. In other words, things may happen in the outer world, but they can only be an influence in your life if they happen in your mind. You don't have to permit people and conditions out there to decide for you what you're going to think and feel and act. It's your mind. And in this realm, you're the master. You can be. You can resist the forecast of the experts. You can say, that's what you think, but I think otherwise. I'm established in the flow of substance and life, vitality, prosperity. No one can impede its affirmation of the within, within you in your life but you. No one. Whenever we get into the subject of prosperity, I feel the need to give a disclaimer. Because the truth about prosperity is all too often presented as the demonstration of affluence or cars, houses, money, all kinds of baubles. This is the object of, of the study of truth. The word prosperity has often been corrupted to imply God, gold dust falling from the sky, the term millionaire is overworked, develop a millionaire consciousness and you'll able to have all the money in the world and so forth. It's all material, all baubles. I'm very much embarrassed by this gross materialistic rendering of a beautiful spiritual truth, which often implies, and sometimes unblessingly proclaims, that wealth, amassing wealth, is a kind of spiritual growth. It's important that we correct that image. Certainly prosperity as a law is a vital aspect of our study of truth. As one writer wrote a few years ago, God loves a prosperous man. The reason for this is that the activity of God has but one desire, to flow forth into fulfillment in individual lives. So it's right and good that we have abundance, that we have prosperity. But it's important to keep it in context. We want to talk a little bit about that today. The subject of this lecture is your personal SNL dilemma. Of course, we're not going to talk about savings banks. That's a losing proposition. We're going to talk about attitudes, states of mind, in which there's another more personal SNL, SNL dilemma. We're talking about substance and lack. It's a great paradox, a great dilemma. In truth, we often refer to the omnipresence of substance. We read this so much that we sort of take it for granted. It's a part of the flow of truth ideas. The omnipresence of substance, the divine idea of the underlying reality of all things, it is the spiritual essence, the living energy out of which everything is made. Jesus considered divine substance as the treasure field in which one can find fulfillment of every need. And Jesus said, in effect, if you know the truth about the allness of substance, focusing your consciousness upon the supportive essence, that consciousness will mold and shape the things that flow into your life. The implications of this are profound. Substance is everywhere, and there can be no lack. Emphasize, there can be no lack. That probably causes you, from an intellectual sense, to sit back and say, wait a minute, what about the things we don't have, perhaps can't afford? What about the homeless and the hungry in the city and around the world? Everywhere we look is widespread lack and destitution. How can we say there's no lack? It's substance everywhere. 
It's a dilemma, at least to a degree for all of us. It's imperative that we get a clear perception of the relationship between substance and lack. Without this perception, we will always be unable to understand human experience. We'll be unable to cope with life's exigencies. See, I'm not saying that there are no hungry people, that unemployment is an illusion. These are very real experiences. They may be very painful, but they're not the truth. They're simply the frustration of it. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a metaphor that he used to indicate the spiritual realm is not up there in the pink clouds, but a realm in which you live and move and have being. Substance is the coin of the realm, not dollars and cents, but a transcendent energy, not material, that stands under money. Substance, stand under. Money is only a symbol of the wealth of the universe legal tender which is supported by the universal all-sufficiency. Money has no value, except the value that we give it. In pieces of paper, perhaps the silver coins are worth a little something. But there's no value in it in terms of the value that we give symbolically. $500, $1,000, Money is an enabling symbol. It's something that enables us to do certain things. In the doing of them, in the thinking of them, in the creating of them, we're tuning in upon an inner flow of spirit substance, which is the coin of the realm. Now, this idea of substance doesn't compute for you right now. Make a mental note to yourself as good students. You'll give it some attention in your reading, your thinking, and your meditation. Decide that sometime in the next few weeks, you'll get a real clear conception of what substance means because we'll be talking about it often. It's vital and ongoing. For just a moment, join me in a visualization exercise. I'd like you to close your eyes. We all have a faculty of imagination. You can image certain things, they become real to us as far as we see them and feel them. Let your mind reach out beyond the Earth's horizon to the moon, the planets, and the sun, to the stars of our galaxy, the Milky Way, to the vast array of galaxies, out, 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 to the farthest reaches of the universe and beyond. And realize that there's a microscopic universe within you, beyond the molecules, the atoms, the subatomic particles within particles within particles, to a basic universal substance which all things are formed. Then realize that through all the macrocosm and the microcosm, there's no lack. Only an everywhere present abundance, substance, the natural state of affairs in the universe. And remember, in all this vast expanse, substance is by law inexorable as gravity, and just as omnipresent. And because it is present at all, is present in its entirety at every point in space at the same time. Wherever you go, you see evidence of the psalmist's vision. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, you can open your eyes now. The thing that makes this exciting, 
You've been able to hold in, in, the image in your mind of the universe without and within. This vast expanse, almost unbelievable. Arthur Redding said, the universe appears to be like one great thought. As you think the thought, you're in the universe. The universe is in you. But the important thing is, you're not on the outside looking in. You may see pictures, uh, you saw a lot of them today with all the space flights going on. Pictures of going out into space, moving past planets and distant stars. See the Earth back from the moon as this blue planet. But you're always unconsciously looking in the window, in the motion picture screen or into the television screen. There's always something that you're looking at out there. It's important to put yourself in the picture. You're not outside looking in. You're an integral part of it, a dynamic center within it. Your life is formed of its basic substance, easily supported by it. So whenever you see pictures of heavenly bodies, this great vast universe, remember that the universe starts with you. You're the center of it, the very center of it, and it reaches out in all directions from you. Keep yourself in that consciousness. You have a new sense of security, a new sense of worthiness. Turning to the Jesus metaphor of the kingdom, which, as I said, is the royal ground in which and out of which all things exist. Jesus indicates spiritual priorities. He says, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. So often we are so involved in trying to fulfill our needs for money, for jobs, for things, we do all our attention immediately to affirming for these things or treating for these things. I think it's important to get the thought. As long as we pray for things and pray for objects and pray for material experiences like a job, you're actually praying in a sense of lack. You're praying in a sense of need. The important thing is to turn from the lack, turn from the problems, identify yourself with abundance, with allness, with substance. Turn first within to the feel, feel the fountain, the creative flow. And you'll experience the new ideas and the spiritual power for which you can go on to do or achieve what you want or need. But the realization of your oneness with the universe, with the substance of God, and then the life that is beneath all conditions. Get your realization of that and see the manifestation unfold. So the goal should not be to make money or to acquire things. But to achieve the consciousness through which substance will flow forth when you need it, it manifests as the job or the home or the money, but always flows from within. And if you get the realization that you're coming forth from within, you'll never know lack. Because you never get the sense that your absence are cut off from any of it. You're a part of it. You're a part of the flow. All the substance of the universe is present in its entirety at every point in space. Which means that you're the center of all the substance of the universe. Always. Substance doesn't come and go. It's always the underlying essence or energy in back of all things. In the three-dimensional world, there's an indisputable fact. There's widespread hunger and deprivation. It's a great, great, great concern of many persons. This is, there's poverty and unemployment. There's a huge national debt. There's no point in trying to deny these things. This is not negative. It's accepting the reality of things. But you can and should deny 
this negative is permanent. These conditions are not lack. Lack is an attitude or state of mind that forms or deforms the human experience. Jesus said, judge not according to appearances, but judge righteous judgment. If we live and work in a three-dimensional consciousness, our lives are bound and limited. There's a sense that life is being used up, and things are deteriorating. The years are making us older, and that money like sand in the hourglass is running out. Seeing things from a level of appearances, one can easily fall into despair. But Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, lack and limitation, but I have overcome the world. To overcome the world is to come over the appearances, to know the truth and identify as a spiritual being in a spiritual world governed by spiritual law. It's knowing that there's a world of transcendence. There's an allness for every illness, an all-sufficiency for every insufficiency that the universe desires to give it to us. Jesus says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Opulence is the ever-present reality of the universe. Think about this. If the stock market goes startlingly down, as we've seen it do in recent years, out of control, just running down and down until it looks like the bottom's going to fall out. If that happens one day, you wake up the next morning, you go off to work. And the strange thing is, if we know the truth and the facts of what's happening, there's no less substance in the economy than there was before the change. Even the night the Federal Reserve System puts $100 million worth of money into circulation to counteract some economic problem, there's no doubt a cent more of value in the economy than there was the day before. Unlike Peter Pan, who lost his shadow, you can never be separated or cut off from the inner resource. You can be fired from a job, but you can never be fired from the universe. Think about that. You're always the inlet and may become an outlet for all there is in God. You may have a cash flow problem, but you cannot get outside of the universal flow, which is inseparable, inseparable within you. These are things that are very important to hold in consciousness, to keep yourself stable, and all around you is instability. Of course, you may be experiencing a frustration to this flow. That's an experience of lack, but lack is not a condition. Lack is a state of mind. Certainly, it's not God's will. It's not bad luck or just one of those things. You may recall that interesting and lovable character, Mike Todd. He used to say, many times I've been broke, but I've never been poor. It's this kind of consciousness that will enable any person to go through all the turmoil that the world can offer and still move onward to his good. You need to remember that there are many different levels of consciousness in which you live. You may be in a lack consciousness or a failure consciousness. You will draw to you or express from you the things and experiences in that consciousness. In most cases, if we are alert and willing to do so, we can take a look at our lives and we see difficulties happening constantly. We seem to be always having problems. It's important to know that somehow I'm in a problem consciousness. As long as I'm in a problem consciousness, I will attract to me a continuity of problems. If I'm in a lack consciousness, I'll feel lack and need even when I have a pocket full of money and the bank is overflowing. The so-called millionaire can feel poverty-stricken. He can have a lack consciousness. 
It's strange, but this is something we see quite often in our day. We need to remember that if you're not secure in your faith, if you're not well grounded in your perception, the pessimistic prophecies of the economic movers and shakers will have their effect upon you almost instantly. You'll be moved and shaken by every turn, slight turn of events. If you buy into the worry talk about recession, the unstable employment picture that everyone is worrying about, you'll be led around by conditions over which you have no control. You may even justify your feelings by saying, but I have no choice. It's happened. You read the papers, they tell you how, how, how business is bad and how the stock market has gone down and things are going, people are unemployed everywhere. Like the man in the story. That's right, there's a Great Depression on it. Because I've accepted it in myself. If you buy into it, it will have an immediate effect upon you. There's an error that must be corrected. You always have a choice. Never a choiceless life, a choiceless experience. Because you read about the terrible things that are going to happen, you have the choice of determining that your life is centered in a universal flow. You may, be able, may not be able to determine the conditions around you, but you can, can do choose to, your reaction to them. You choose your moods, you choose your attitudes, you can choose to follow your faith, your vision. No one can take that from you. On a country road in Western Canada, where deep ruts left over from rains had turned the roads into a quagmire and hardened by a very dry spell, there's a sign that says, choose your rut with care. You may be in it for the next 30 miles. You could say that when you're experiencing concerns about things you've been reading about or hearing about in terms of economic difficulties and the possibility of unemployment and so forth, layoffs, choose your rut with care. You take the attitude that demanded we're in a Great Depression, times are going to be hard, things are going to be difficult, that becomes your rut. You move along in that rut and be impelled in a certain direction by it, even if you wanted to move the other way. That's the way consciousness works. Choose your rut with care. Choose a state of mind that you're going to live with, with great caution and great determination. Keep yourself in the awareness of abundance. Work on the idea that you're living in an opulent universe, in a limitless sea of substance, in which there can be no lack. This attitude cannot be achieved without much discipline and effort. On a continuing basis, not just in occasional prayer times, it calls for an attitude, or a mindset, and a self-image of affluence. No one can do it for you, but you can do it. It will have an immediate effect and influence in your life. Some of them might say, well, if there are any people off at my office or shop, I've always been lucky, so I'll probably be the lucky one that's kept on. It's not very loving and caring, of course. It's also very foolish, because if you get yourself in the consciousness of luck or chance, and you live a very difficult experience, like Dickens' character who always waiting to see what turned up. There's no way to live. There's always a tendency in the human person to, to look for simplistic solutions and magic demonstrations. Like, for instance, well, maybe I'll win the lottery. Maybe I'll receive an inheritance from a distant relative that I didn't even know I had. Strange thing, in many of the discussions, classes, lectures about prosperity, these things are often brought up. 
demonstrations have been made by people demonstrating substance in the time of difficulty, time of lack and unemployment. He won the lottery. Wonderful, isn't that great? Maybe I'll win the lottery. You put yourself on, on this chance experience, and your life is precarious indeed. There's so many folks involved on the fringes of the study of truth who toy with the prosperity ideas, pin all their hopes upon the unexpected turn up of the things that are going to happen. I got, I got a money from Internal Revenue sent me some money back, which is a switch. Or I got a sudden bonus at the office. Or I had an aunt die and leave me some money. Or I won the lottery or whatever. Nothing of these things can't happen. I say it's a very foolish thing to put your trust in the possible happening of things. Maybe by metaphysical truth, consciousness, you can stop the lottery wheels on your number. I say that even full well knowing that so much of the prosperity teaching is based on this. I think it's foolish. But there's so much more for us in consciousness and awareness of who we are, expanding our thought to include and be a part of the whole universe. There's always abundance present. When you really know that, you know the consciousness of substance manifested every point in space. And who does? In the ultimate, you see Jesus going forth without script or purse. That's true prosperity. He didn't pray for money, for things, for things to happen, to feed them. All those things were taken care of, but he was conscious of oneness, trust, identified with the whole universe of substance. And there's no lack. Why do we find it so difficult to think of an invisible substance capable of manifesting to fill a particular need? Consider a moment when the rains commence. The air is filled with humidity, with, with humidity, which is in the process called precipitation. It turns to rain, and water, tons of it, floods the parkways and the parks. Where was all that water before? They said we had, on one day we had two inches of rain. It poured down out of the skies. Where did it come from? You these two-ton truck of water hang up above in the sky? Yet the two tons of water manifest and flowed down. Where did it come from? It was in the present in the form of unprecipitated moisture in the atmosphere. So before your very eyes, the invisible became visible. Was it a miracle? No, it was a perfectly natural phenomenon. So to have a recession-free life, it is not a matter of doing or changing things in your world. Not a matter of saying, well, I'll, I'll believe when I have my bank account filled and I have the things I want. It's not trying to do these things to get these things to happen. It's emphasizing states in your mind. But you get a relief that you're living in substance, and substance is the security and support of you at all times. You never know lack. I remember a story when, the early days of unity, when Charles Fillmore was developing a large printing plant, which they developed and it became a great plant through the years. In the beginning of this, he was getting some printing equipment. He'd ordered it, and the, the payments had not been made on time because they were having a little difficulty. They overstepped. The sheriff came to repossess the, the printing equipment. 
Tells him, I says, well, I, th I think you better leave because I have a rich father. The man was convinced, maybe if he's got a rich father, he'll probably pay the bill, so we better let it go. So they let it go for a couple of weeks, and in that time, the bill was paid. But he had a rich father. He had an awareness of oneness with the flow of the universe. We could know that in our own experience. Not that we put off paying our bills, but that we get a sense of security, which you can never get all the money that you want in the bank. I have a rich father. I live in a rich and opulent universe. Heavens is always present. Seek first the kingdom, the inner awareness, contact with the divine flow. Let that guide you and direct you and influence you in your decisions and the work you do. To have a recession-free life, no matter having a consciousness, is moored and grounded in this divine process. You have faith that nothing can ever go wrong in your life because you know you're one with God. But you have to choose for yourself whether to meekly surrender to the consciousness of the pessimists and the gloomcasters, they're called the bears of Wall Street, and fall into a state of worry and anxiety and fear, or whether to affirm that you're a spiritual being living in a spiritual universe governed by spiritual law. You will definitely find yourself walking to the beat of a different drummer, as Thoreau says. You remain positive and creative and open and receptive to the flow of substance. It will manifest in the guidance to take certain courses of action in the calm trust in the support of the universe. You always remain hopeful and optimistic and happy and bullish on the economy. We need to become familiar with the word unlimited. Unlimited. It's a marvelous word. There's no limit in the universe, in God. There's no limit to you in God consciousness. However, in human consciousness, in the world around us, it's different. There are distinct limitations to money. $10 is not $20. $1,000 is not a $1 million. There's a set of fence around it. And when it says a dollar on a dollar bill, <clears throat> in a sense it says only a dollar. <clears throat> only a dollar. Only $10. <clears throat> only $20. So the point is, the universe can't fill your lack. You have a feeling of lack, a feeling of emptiness, a feeling of want. There's no way that the universe can fill this. Because lack is a limited state of consciousness. But the universe can't fill your lack. It's like going to a free-flowing fountain with a cup to be filled. Hold the cup upside down. There's no way it can be filled. The water just flows over it and falls off. Turn the cup over. Instantly it's filled to overflowing. This overflow is the main stock and trade of the person who consciously works from within out. Again, using the symbol of the cup, the tendency is to think of taking your cup to the company paymaster to be filled. You take it to the bank, empty it on the counter, and the teller puts it into your account. But actually, the prosperity consciousness is just the opposite of this. You're already one of a substance. You're already a rich child of God. You already have a rich father. We can only have the use of that which we can give way to. The work is not a means of earning a living, getting money out here, as much as it is a means of making a life. Giving way from within yourself. You give way the energy, you give way the love, the commitment. You invest that energy and commitment in the work you do. You set into operation a law which returns unto you in like manner.
we get so confused because we think of the outside, we think of the money out here. That's what I want to get. I go to the job to get the money, but it's all on the outside. The wise student, trying to get himself in tune with the fullness of life, will always start in the beginning. The creative process works from within me. Life is lived from within out. My work should be done from within out. I start with inspiration, the flow of energy, the love of work, and I plow into this job. I invest something into the job. See, the outer-directed worker is a taker. You may not be aware of that, but he, in his work, he's a taker. He's always thinking of another day, another dollar. I want this, I want that, I'm going to get this, I want this raise in salary. He's always thinking in terms of out here, making the money out here, investing it out here, spending it out here, but he, he's totally cut off. Like the prodigal son, he's in the far country. And as the prodigal son, he came to no want. He came because he lost sight of who he was. He lost the inner contact. The interdirected student is a giver. His work is a place to give. As the 23rd Psalm says, my cup runneth over. This overflow, expressed in the feeling of joy, makes a person of prosperity, which also helps to make one's employers prosperous and successful. The worker should be thinking, not taking something from the employer, but giving something to the employer. Someone once said, why not give the boss a raise? What I mean by that is giving the boss the raised consciousness of yourself, your sense of service, your sense of commitment. Give it into the operation, which becomes successful, and enduringly so, and you're prospered in the process. But it's always flowing from within out. We're told, come you blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, it's important that you claim your inheritance. Stake your claim on the substance of the universe. He's always ready to support your needs. Jesus says, the Father knows what things you have need of even before you ask him. So I say, don't ask. So much of our prayer and worship is asking, pleading, supplicating. God up there has all the substance. So we say, give, us, give some to me, I need it. We pray for this stuff to come down from heaven on the outside. Much of our religious experience is exteriorly oriented. It's all outer-directed. We pray out here, we talk to God out here, we deal with spiritual things out here. We're cut off. We're not related to it. Be still and know that I am God, said the psalmist. Be still and know your oneness within. Let all things begin from within, through this creative flow. You're alert and serious and sincere as you study of truth. You begin every day, getting centered and knowing that you're in one with the divine flow. You willingly and lovingly give way to that flow, pouring it into your work, into your relationships, to all the things that happen around you. Others may not know the difference, because they say, I don't know why that guy is always so lucky. But you'll know the difference. You'll know that in one case you're working from the outside in, in your case you're working from the inside out, letting the divine flow manifest in you. Condition your mind with the idea that abundance is the natural state of affairs in the universe. Anyone who's experiencing less than abundance in every aspect of life, in some way, is blocking the flow or pushing it away. Take charge of your own life, your own mind, your own thoughts. Own up to the fact that if you're having difficulty in your life, if your finances are in shambles, whether you know it or not, in some way you're blocking the flow. You say, but it's because they laid me off. It's because these people owe me money and don't pay me. It's because prices are so high. 
I don't have enough money to go around. That's a cop-out. Because your life is centered in the divine within. You're a spiritual being. You may not be aware of it. You may not be acting the part. Your relationship with the universe is within and out. So there's any kind of lack or difficulty in your life, except the fact that somehow you're blocking the flow. If you work from that point, you begin to analyze your thoughts, your feelings, your sense of resistance, your fear of lack. Maybe you've had a long time fear of unemployment, insecurity. These things are part of consciousness. They have a great effect on what happens to you, because life is different within and out. Media mystic monk, Brother Lawrence, coined the illuminating phrase, the practice of the presence of God. This doesn't mean having flashes of mystical insight or even spending long periods of meditation. We say of a doctor, he practices medicine. It doesn't suggest that he's having an emotional experience. It's really a description of how he makes his living. The practice of the presence does not mean titillating yourself with some mysterious spirit of God that comes and goes. The presence of God is that of God which is present, holy, ceaselessly. It never changes. It doesn't come and go. It is. So the practice of the presence of God means continually reminding yourself of the activity of God ever working with you, much as the student of mathematics works continually to remind himself of the principles. The presence of God cannot be absent. You may have an absent consciousness. You may think in separation, but God is always present. So you don't have to talk to God, reach for God, plead and supplicate God. You need only to let God be God in you, as my record says. The practice of the presence is to experience that realization that the presence of God is the ever-present activity that's seeking always to give to fulfill itself in you and through you. To make a deeply rooted commitment that you will practice the presence of God's substance, ever reminding yourself that you're in the presence of an infinite eternal substance from which all things proceed, resolve that you will think and work and live if you really believe that the whole universe of creativity and substance were present in every project of your work, every transaction of your investments, as a never-failing resource. If you diligently practice the presence of God's substance, you become impervious to the ravages of inflation or recession. You'll be established in the experience of affluence. You'll be centered in the free flow of substance. Let's be still for a moment. Get the picture of living in this great field, the kingdom of God within. The ground of this field is pure substance. It's your milieu. See yourself centered in this field of substance. Get the picture so strong in your mind. Whenever in your experience to come, in the days to come, you feel the latest, latest twinge of fear, of insecurity, a sense of lack or need, do you remember that you're established in substance? In your life, there can be no lack. Reject the thought of recession. Reject the thought of financial confusion. Keep yourself aware of oneness with the whole. Substance is the ground under your feet. Tell stands under everything that you have. It's limitless, inexhaustible, ever flowing. As you know this, you will know 
true prosperity. You never keep the great perception of the distinct relationship between substance and lack. Lack is another thing. It's simply a frustration in consciousness and the free flow of substance. Can that, that much easily be resolved? First, just give thanks for the realization of universe of abundance. See prosperity flowing through the land. See the bears or those who are involved in thoughts of recession inspired with new ideas, new light, new awareness that prosperity is in the land. There can be no confusion, no lack. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So be it. Thank you.